Welcome to, to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki Rousseau, CEO and founder of Exaptic, a robotics company based in Melbourne. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to Big Luke Binskas. Did I get that right? I didn't actually practice that with you before. <laughs> yeah, Mick, Mick Lubinskas. It's, Lim, uh, Lubinskas. That's, that's pretty good. I've, I've, I've had a lot worse, but it, um, it, it always is a great icebreaker to a conversation. So yeah. all good. I normally practice that before we go live, so my apologies. So, no, all good. <laughs> Mick is a high energy technology builder, investor, author, speaker, and industry leader. He's now focused on supporting, growing, and invest with climate-related technology to help the world get to and beyond net zero carbon emissions by 2015. But most importantly for today, he also authored the book, She's Building a Robot. So Mick, welcome and thanks very much for joining me. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So your bio says you find high potential climate-focused technology companies and help them grow to full potential. Tell us more about this. Well, typical for me, this is um, a, a lot more about my ambitions than my actual day-to-day. -day. I've been working in early-stage technology for a, a very, very, very long time, um, probably longer than some of your listeners may have lived, but um, I and I have loved doing that. I just I love new technology, but I, I love creating products and getting first customers and seeing them grow. And, and about five years ago, my best friend in the world, said uh, to me, it, um, uh, we, we used to play basketball together and he, he's been working in climate change for about 10 years. And he said, look, it's time to get in the game. Um, and uh, it, it was a very, it was a non-subtle hint to say that I should stop doing broader tech and start doing climate tech. And um, since then, I, look, I, I don't have a science degree. I'm, I, I'm not a, uh, uh, an expert in that area. So I just started helping as many companies in climate tech as I could. That This is when I was living in San Francisco and I did some work with um, Singularity University and Berkeley's Cyclotron Road Program and a little bit with Stanford's D School. And, um, and I just started helping more and more companies. And then when I moved back to Australia about 18 months ago, um, I just saw this uh, really wonderful groundswell of uh, young, emerging, ambitious companies in climate tech trying to solve these big problems. And... I said, you know what? Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm no panacea. I'm not going to solve all their problems, but um, this is where I think I can have the best Im impact. Uh, so I started just helping as many companies as I could. Um, I, you know, I'm not a, a mega wealthy person, so I, I wasn't investing a lot, but I was helping introduce these companies to investors. And um, now I'm working with a team to actually set up a new um, climate tech-focused venture fund. Uh, which is in, in its early days, we've got lots of work to do, but the goal of that is to basically invest in, in a very early stage, uh, seed stage companies who have global ambitions to, and can solve climate problems um, and to, in, uh, to invest capital, but more importantly, to invest support um, and, and love and attention to help them achieve their full global success. Okay, so just going back to Singularity University, is that the Ted Bailey University or, or am I getting my wires crossed? What's the Singularity? Uh, Singularity University uh, was set up by, um, I think, Ray Kurzweil and Peter Diomedes. Um, and it's, oh, yeah. It's, it's, they, have an Australian, um, they have an Australian group run by Christina and the team here. And they, um, they basically have um, a mission to help people solve 
massive scale problems. So moonshots, basically. Um, and they, um, they, have a, they had a climate uh, cohort and I came in and mentored a, a few companies through that program. So um, yeah, amazing program. Well, for someone who hasn't got a, that, that background, I mean, for you to go and do this and mentor them, I, I, maybe you're selling yourself a little bit short in terms of your skill set there, but we won't go into that. <laughs> well, um, they're, they're, they're the experts, right? Same with robotics, right? It's a, it, it takes a team and it takes a village to make these things a success. And, um, and I have, you know, hopefully I have my role to play as well. Well, of course you do. And, and um, to your point, I, I'm not an engineer myself, but I, I have other skills that I bring to the table and um, not everyone wants to import and sell and rent robots. And I love doing what I do, you know, so we can have academics and we can have people such as myself uh, contribute to the to the ecosystem. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me what are takeaways from your time in the States? Um, how long were you there for? And, and what do you think is the major difference there between our ecosystems, the startup systems in particular, and, and to how comparison to Australia? Yes, great questions. So I spent about three years there and I, I had been traveling there sort of 10 years prior, but it's very different living to, uh, to visiting. And yeah, there's, there's some really obvious ones like scale, where the US has 300 million people, Australia has 25. So the markets are quite more, big, much bigger, which means there's more customers, more revenue, more capital. Uh, and, and what Silicon Valley certainly has, probably more than anything, is actually just 70 years of generational lapse of entrepreneurs. Um, you know, the... Um, um, William Shockley's mum was sick, so he built his fabrication plant in uh, Menlo Park, which was an orchard, and um, and then or Cupertino, and then uh, that led to uh, to uh, the you know, Intel being created, which led to HP and Microsoft being created, which led to Apple and uh, PayPal being created. Which it, so there's just generational lapse, and, and Australia has a history too, but uh, a bit shorter and a bit of a, a smaller base. Um, and that's one of the biggest things. Australia is quite spread out. So we're, we're almost as big as the US, but we're quite spread out. There's amazing people in uh, all across Australia, um, whereas you know, Silicon Valley is a concentration of a lot of people, sort of maybe 20 million people. And, um, and also uh, Australia is probably is too, is too small a market for a lot of companies to reach scale. So you can stay in the US and build a big business where it's much harder to stay in, in Australia. But what, one of the really good things about that is that means Australians build businesses. When, when we are ambitious, we build businesses that don't need capital because we can't rely on it. Uh, we, you know, we do this crazy thing where we make revenue and profit and grow organically. And um, that, that is actually a real strength. And uh, you know, we, we should not try to replicate Silicon Valley. We should learn its lessons um, same with learning from New Zealand and Israel and London and Berlin and uh, Waterloo, Canada. You know, with its lessons to learn, and then we, we've got to we've, Australia's got to find our own strengths and build our own our own um, ecosystem. Yeah, I think the only problem with um, Australian companies that need to go overseas for funding end up not coming back again. So, you know, that's a real risk Australian um, our economy also faces. And it, it's a bit of a, it's a cat 22. If you're not going to support the companies here and they get funding somewhere else, they, they're not coming back. Yeah, I think that um, was, was aggressively true back 15 years ago. Um, Alan Jones, um, the tech Alan Jones, who we both know, uh, he, his company raised money and the whole company had to move to the US and he didn't want to, so he didn't go. 
nowadays you'd be crazy to move your whole company to Silicon Valley because of the costs. So it's it's much more uh, likely that you could actually grow the engineering team at least here. Um, so I, I think I agree with you. I think it's a bit better. But what we do have in our favour is people like me eventually want to come back because Australia is just a wonderful place to live and, and raise a family. So, um, and what we what we do have really positively in Australia now, of, of course, as well is um, that we have we have a, a it's not the scale as Silicon Valley, but we have a scaled ecosystem. You can you can work in Australia and get there are there are dozens of jobs in in tech at for every level, every person, every role and function. Um, so uh, we are big enough now, which is good. Um, so yeah, definitely a lot of positives. Oh, excellent. So most importantly that I mentioned earlier, you've written the book, She's Building a Robot, and you kindly sent me five copies of which I've handed out four. I think I've sent you some of the photos with the recipients, but I have one more, one more copy to hand out to a Melbourne-based um, listener. So if you're listening to this and you send me an email and you're quick, you may be the one. And of course, I will want a photo when you come and fetch it from me. But Mick, <laughs> tell us about why you did this book. And um, like I flicked it. I have to be honest I haven't read it but I've looked at it and then there are a couple of flowing questions from the book that you've done so how did this start? Yeah thank you well it's um, a little bit of madness as I think most things start certainly for me but um, <laughs> um, madness in terms of doing it but also I was a little bit grumpy I've got two I've got three kids um, a boy and two girls and I was reading stories to my girls and I, I um, it's just crazy that you have to kind of either specifically hunt for a book with a, a strong female lead character um, and I, I was a bit grumpy about that and I've always loved writing and then I, I was at South by Southwest in Austin Texas and I happened to be speaking to some to five female roboticists and I said look I've got daughters what's what's going to be the toughest stage for them uh, of their uh, uh, lives in terms of pursuing a career in in tech and and they all said early teens, really tough. It's a tough time in terms of social pressure, family pressure, societal pressure. And, you know, the in uh, the age of 10, girls are typically smarter, better, more interested in STEM subjects, science, technology, engineering, and maths. And then by 16, by 16 years of age, it's like 30% women, 70% men. And um, and that, that's a bit sad. So I thought, do you know what, what if, uh, what what a few thoughts struck me. One was, why is Harry Potter called Harry Potter and not Hermione Granger because she's awesome? Um, and why would a female author not write about a strong female character? But maybe it's because it sells better. But which I thought was still sad. And then I thought, what if if what if it was about Hermione and what if instead of magic they used technology and she was a bit of a MacGyver? Um, so I just started noodling with the idea and a, a noodling of an idea turned into a plan. And then I wrote a chapter and then. Um, I just started getting up at 5.30 every day and writing 500 words. Um, and then a couple of months later, I, I had a book. Um, it took three years to convert that book into an actual book because I'm a, I'm a noob. But um, And the goal of the book was just to give a little bit of inspiration to as many young girls, as teenage girls as possible to say, hey, it's a career in tech is a good thing. You can do it. It's exciting, and um, and to also along the way teach them teach them good principles. So, um, the the book's about a girl, uh, a teenage girl who enters her school robot building competition, and uh, she has to build a robot and then build a team, become a leader, 
and go through the trials and tribulations um, associated with that. And um, uh, yeah, loved doing it. I've, I've loved getting feedback from, from girls around the world about uh, what they got out of the book and boys too, because look, I, I, it was funny re recently, I've always said the boys could read it, uh, but I think recent events around um, uh, equality of women in Australia, particularly, and certainly the world, says that um, boys should read a book called She's Building a Robot because they they shouldn't be like, oh, that's for girls. It should be like, well, you know what? Girls have read all these books by boys for so long. Suck it up and read a book about a strong girl. Like it's just, um, I, uh, so anyway, I'll get I'll, a little bit off my high horse, but I'll stay, stay on the No, 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 you, no, you can stay on your high horse because I have <laughs> to agree with all of this. Actually, your, um, your conversation about the crucial period of girls, it's actually, it's true. About year seven or eight, there's actually a paper written on this. They, they are, they're actually stronger than boys in, in STEM and maths subjects, but it becomes then where their cohorts go. And um, the, the, the problem is that it's such a clear distinction between humanities and STEM subjects at school. So um, I spoke to Dr. Amanda Caples and we've decided, I decided for her because clearly, you know, that's how it's going to work. She's only the lead scientist in Victoria. So no pressure there that they must make STEM subjects compulsory till year 12 because you know, you don't know what you don't know at school. And you may think these are brilliant suggestions you're making because you think, oh, you never, you won't do this later in life because you won't actually know because you're too young and inexperienced. And um, I, I think in a way it's a bit of tough love. You know, I grew up in South Africa and you had to, you had to finish school with two languages. And it's still like that. If you fail Afrikaans or English, you fail your final year. So you don't actually have a choice. You have to do it. And I think, that should just be the same. You know, you must have like two STEM subjects, biology or, you know, lower grade maths or whatever, but it just leaves doors open for you. Absolutely. And, honest, and um, funnily enough, tough love is actually a, uh, a, a big theme of one of the challenges. The team, the team have to think about tough love. They can't just be kind to each other and they need to be tough on each other. And look, and I, so I, I totally agree on the principle. And also on the exploration, like, um, you know, I, I say to as many young people as possible, you should try to learn um, coding just because it's the most common, because binary is the most common language in the world. But um, yeah, I, I think it, it is really worth um, pushing and it is worth exposing people to that and, and supporting people because t teenage years, I think, are complex and hard. Um, and, and again, I don't expect pretend that I'm going to solve all the problems, but um, hopefully if there's a thousand initiatives, we can have an important impact on this because every time I've been involved in a, in a project which is um, male dominated, it's, it's, it's had big gaps, blind, clear blind spots. Um, yeah. Every time I've been in, involved in a, a project with great diversity, we, we have a better outcome. It's just, it's just so real and true. And I really believe it. And, um, I, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I recognise we've got still got a lot of work to do, but I'm optimistic about the direction we're going. Yeah, listen, I agree with you. Um, I can I think if everyone just brings a, you know, it's a skill set. I've, I've got two sons and, um, you know, I'm pretty handy with a chainsaw myself. So it's skills that you learn. It's not necessarily male, female stuff. It's, you know, males must be able to cook today because the likelihood that when you get married, you're going to have to produce a nice meal when your wife's come home from doing something. Um, it's skills. And with the skills comes confidence. And with confidence, it opens up other doors for you. There's a whole flow on effect of this. No, no doubt. I mean, I think the confidence is a, is a key one. And, 
um, there is a challenge that we sometimes are too um, uh, gentle with, with, I think, kids growing up in terms of everybody gets a badge um, or a trophy and um, everyone can do everything. And, but I think there's also the positive that parents are really spending time uh, more time with their kids about their their schooling and their careers. So, but it's it, it's also about balance and um, and and that's uh, hopefully we're getting into a position where we can do do that in a better way. So teenage years are traditionally hard for girls. We just you know covered with a stem um, the the associated like this is too hard. Do you think enough has been done in schools? Like what's been done in your daughter's schools? Do do you know of any initiatives that are happening? Um, look, I think um, I total respect for teachers. I think it's and, and people running the education system. It's a very uh, I've done some work at Edutech, and it's it's a, a really challenging thing to do because I think there are a lot of how do you prepare people for twenty years when we don't even know the careers that are going to exist in three years. So that's really hard to do. But I, I think one good thing about that is don't try to guess the careers. Um, help people be good people. Help them get, and give them the base skills of critical thinking, creative thinking, collaboration, communication, and, um, and and ethics as well. Like it's it's definitely something, I was just working today with some teachers on on pulling out the um, lesson plans from the book around around ethics. And um, it's tough, right? I think it's 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 not something you sit there and teach like math, like maths, it's not like learning your times tables. It's something you have to talk about and understand and, and discuss. And I think one of the big big parts of that is is definitely uh, is is gender balance, and it, it's um, it's not going to be solved by a single thing. Um, I do see more good things happening, um, like Jackie Jones's book about um, um, a, a, about um, you know t developing children to be grateful and, and holistically uh, good kids. Um, so I think there there are good things happening um, across schools, um, but I. Don't know. There's, there's no there's no single answer. I think there's a lot of awareness about it. There's increased programs, but um, I, I think we still have some work to do. Yeah, but you know, I agree with you. I, I think it is a, a child's a, a village raised as a child. So I think it's unrealistic expectations of parents to think that they can send their children to school and all the answers are going to be supplied there. Parents also have to step up, communities have to step up. It, it's a whole, it's you and I will step up whenever we get the opportunity to speak and say, these are these are resources that you can use. These are things that you can look at. It's not just coming from one, um, you know, as you mentioned, teachers today, like their workload, it's incredible what, what's expected of them. Never mind just the paperwork that they have to go through, the actual teaching in the classroom with the amount of children that they're facing there. So um, I think if people get the messages from several people with different backgrounds, why these skills are important, then it's really going to permeate society. Yeah, yeah, totally right. I think that's um, that's really um, it's important that I think that we uh, confront some of these things and that we do it. We don't expect any individual group to solve them. I think uh, parents need to 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 can't abdicate that. Uh, and, um, and it's tough these days. Again, I, I'm you know both parents working in, in our family, and um, uh, I know that a lot of a lot of families face that. But we hopefully. There are times when we can, you know, turn off Netflix or devices and um, just go for walks and chat chat to our kids and 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 get to know them. And what are the ways that we can actually get the schools to be more integrated to to communities? So um, 
yeah, I think again, a lot of things going in the right direction, but but more work to be done. And and I recognise my my privilege in that. I'm just trying to help as much as I can. Listen, if nothing else that we do, I think you and I will go on a tangent of solving the world's problem because we can do that. <laughs> I know there are lots of other people involved in this. Now tell me, in the United States, is this the same thing happening there, like um, in terms of the discrepancy in STEM numbers with male, female, or is it a little bit more representative there? Um, in the Valley, I think it's a bit more representative because of um, the emphasis on technology. So there's definitely pockets, but it's also certainly a, a privileged thing. The, um, I think one of the, you know, in, in the US, I think there's a, uh, the, there's a bigger discrepancy in, in wealth and there's a bigger discrepancy and that flows through in terms of education, access and opportunity. Um, that, that's really clear, which is... Uh, um, um, I thought it was a lot more apparent in the US, I think, especially when you have universities being so expensive. Um, so, um, and I think it is also spread in different parts of America, again, whereas um, Silicon Valley is um, uh, 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 probably more advanced as a, as a more, uh, most people say, more liberal part of the US. Uh, I think there's, there's more emphasis on it, but there is still uh, massive um, um, momentum from the last 50 years. It's the, one, one of the issues around venture capitalists, a lot of venture capitalists are successful entrepreneurs. Um, and then, if, but if you weren't, a lot of entrepreneurs are successful in software engineers. And um, so we're, the, the, the venture capital um, male dominance is, is, a, is a consequence of what happened 30 years ago in engineering. And that's negative since the original, a lot of the original coders were, were women. So. Um, some of these things take time and take generations, and, and certainly America is. Um, there are pockets like um, Arlen Hamilton's backstage capital, which are, um, you know, she was uh, she was a um, in a, a a minority group of of uh, people of color and women who were not getting funding, so she set up a tiny VC that became a bigger VC, and she's had wonderful success. So her her numbers really prove the fact that they're there's a missed opportunity by doing it. And I, and I think America, um, like the rest of the world, has a lot more work to do. Yeah, I think that's certainly something in Australia that I've seen quite a few articles on LinkedIn floating around about um, uh, venture capital into female-owned companies and started companies. So I've decided when I win the lottery, because I will win it, um, I'm going to use that money to back females out there and go, come, bring me your companies, bring me your ideas, and off we go. Yeah, exactly. And look, please don't wait till you win the, win the lottery. It's um, my my maths teacher always said that uh, the lottery is a tax on people who are bad at maths. Um, and um, <laughs> but but the, the the reality is like podcasts like this and the and the and the work you you do um, can helping people out. Like time actually is the is by far the biggest thing that can help uh, young entrepreneurs and young female entrepreneurs especially because. Um, um, and, and minority groups and um, and every little bit helps um, yeah. and it, it, it has a flow on effect because if you help one company then uh, they can go on to become a success and then they'll help five companies so mm. yes. um, ab absolutely um, I've always loved the phrase um, if not now when, when and if, yeah. if, if not you who um, and I'd say look I think everybody has an opportunity to contribute um, now yeah, I think so. You know what? And even as you say, even if it's just a quick conversation about, look, what are you doing? Um, you know, I'm like, I, I'm just such a, 
you know, when Alan met me, because this is where we both, I know Alan from a startup program that he was the, the entrepreneur in residence. He's just a supremely nice human being. So I'll just give him a bit of a plug there. And I love him dearly. But, um, you know, <laughs> I think he wrote a, a medium article in me and he said, I'm, I'm like this grandmotherly type of person running like in a robotics company. It's quite unexpected until you start talking to me about squash and competitive sports. And then you go, oh, she's not so grandmotherly after all. <laughs> is fiercely competitive but um ach, look you know I, I again like as you say just just a word here or there to encourage someone on their journey a little bit you know just tweak that or there and off they go sometimes I think we think we need to be in this absolutely official capacity of um coaching or giving advice and it doesn't really work like that you know people just ask you a question just you know just by the off chance and you never know where that answer takes them yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, like I, I think it's good to find people who have the experience, have done the things that you need to do. Uh, but I, it's important as well that to make a company work, there's a lot of experiences they need to go through. So yeah. um, you know, I certainly don't pretend to be able to solve any uh, a company's all their problems, but um, I've done some things and if I can be useful, and sometimes it's a pair of hands, sometimes it's a pair of ears in terms of just listening and supporting. Um, but also just that introduction to whether it's to Alan Jones or to to others, um, um, you know, there is uh, there's lots of again that's this the there has been a technology industry in Australia for you know 30 40 years, but uh, we're now getting to the point where it's it is a strong connected community, which is great. Yeah, listen, I'm going to put your email in the show notes every, anyway, so everyone's now going to go, you did so I can contact you, so like, I'm just warning you. <laughs> so part of your um, your book publicity, or now I, I may have this wrong, um, did you interview the 50 women in STEM before you released the book or after you re re released the book? Um, in the middle. So I, I wrote it and then uh, somebody cleverly pointed out that I was neither a teenager nor a, a female so um, and also the premise of the book is that there's a fictional character that can inspire you and I happen to be telling somebody who is a um, Claire Hallam who is a a real inspiration to me and um, um, and I was like hmm why why am I why am I only telling a fictional story when there are actually real stories and what I wanted to do, what, one of my ambitions with the book was I did, I don't actually say in the book where it's set. So I don't say it's not set in any particular city or town or country. And I don't actually physically describe the three main characters um, because I, I wanted um, them to, I wanted anyone to relate to them anywhere in the world. You know, I, I did work in Tanzania a long, a long time ago and I, I really still have a connection to that space. My, my family, my father's family is from Lithuania and I, I really tried to make this very, very, very open. Um, so, um, so yeah, that was the, the the ambition behind the interviews was to say, if I can couple with this book stories from real women who've gone through those hard teenage years and come out the other side and love it, and, and with a lot of variety, some of them in some some of them as in sales and marketing, some of them in as engineers, some of them scientists, some of them CEOs, um, but. They're, they're all got careers in tech and STEM and they all have worthy stories. And I just, again, wanted to, to I'm trying to tell one story from every country in the world. I'm, I'm only at about 18 or 19, but um, 
I'm a little bit Australian American dominated, but um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'll, I'll persevere. Listen, I checked through the women, they're impressive. I mean, I know Tatia um, based on in Adelaide because she, I was on a um, bad startup show and I happened to win the second episode, like good on me, but I um, mean, she was one of the judges and she's just absolutely phenomenal. So I went, yes, I know Tatia, so I'm still going to get on my podcast, but like you've got some seriously impressive women there. Were they easy to approach and were they very open to um, coming on, on chatting to you? Yes, uh, mostly. Like it's, uh, it's, it's there. Obviously, there are some. You know, Vivian Ming, uh, Temetope from uh, Nigeria. Um, Holly Ransom interviewed me on some things. Diane McGrath, who wants to go to Mars. Like yeah, it's, I know her. Yeah, it's been a, an amazing crew of people, and um, like I, yeah, they certainly connected with the uh, with the ambition and recognised the challenges and. Um, um, I, I, I will absolutely be honest that I played onto the fact that um, I'm a dad of, of young girls and um, it, when you can send a photo of two cute young girls. Um, Why not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, that's, I, I leverage that as much as I can, um, but um, hopefully my girls are okay with that now. But um, so, yeah, like and it, it was it was one of the best things for me because uh, it's, it's crazy, right, that I didn't go do those stories. I didn't hear all those stories before I wrote this book. And I'm like, why, why would it not do that? It's, um, and I, I find it's actually hard now because um, I have conversations with men who try to tell me that the gender, uh, uh, gender inequality isn't so bad. And I just like, um, it's hard because I, I feel I'm so deep in it. Like I've heard so many stories. I'm just like, are you, are you, are you kidding me? But, and it's, I like, Hey, go to this website, listen to all these interviews and you might sit, might think differently, but um, that's, the, that's the challenge again. We, it's a generational challenge of mindset. Um, and with all of my work, I am only partially way to understanding it. And um, because I'm a product of my own upbringing as well. And um, yeah. um, so it's, it's hard, but worthy. And I'm really glad to, to again, play my small role. Listen, this is a particular area of interest to me. Um, I, I did as much STEM subjects as biology and maths at school, and I didn't go into a STEM career, but like, this is for me a platform. And um, one of the ladies that I've interviewed is Ruth Harrison, and she actually does a returnship. So um, it's ladies that have had STEM, that have STEM degrees, and that decided um, for one or other reason, they're not working in the industry anymore. And she's got returnships to back to companies. So what she does is she approaches companies and companies can approach her and it's a six-month returnship so as opposed to an internship and the women get their skills back up to scratch because they've had children or whatever and they're now back into the workforce and um Mick I can tell you I've interviewed probably um the last five women I've interviewed um Johanna Austin who happens to be um I think she was my second last interviewer she was the only woman um she is I think the only woman in the company she's working at now, um, there's a severe like gender imbalance in this. And um, look, I know the Victorian government has, they've done this whole roadmap, Dr. Amanda Caples and um, Jala Pulford, the, man, the Minister for Innovation. Um, they've got this whole roadmap that it's 
set out that where primary school, high school, you know, university, where you can go for what, um, where you can get resources and what sort of things are available to you. So do you know of anything like that in New South Wales that's available? Well, you've just blown my mind. I This is my first learning of returnships. I love it. Like that's, that's amazing. And so, um, you know, my wife had three kids and, um, if you asked me beforehand to try to guess the impact on her career and her life, I, I would have only massively underestimated it. And um, it's it's really really hard. We are missing out on so much uh, energy and passion and, and and impact that these um, these women can make. And uh, returnships, I think, is 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 fantastic. It's just another one of the many areas we need to to work on. That. Um, a, a, a very privileged man like me will never have to experience. Um, so yeah, it's, the concept is fantastic. I have I, now I need to go do. You've given me another two or three hours of research and homework, but um, um, I, I, I love the idea, and I think it's it. Uh, there's been, I guess, COVID has, has certainly taken up another whole notch about how much we are really exploring and open to different ways of working. Um, what I, I think doesn't work quite well is uh, women returning to work at three days a week when they're still expected to do five days and there's no real flexibility and understanding. Like this, the, the mandate for five days a week work is is crazy to some degree. And um, and I, 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 I think similar, I think, to the inspiration of young uh, women in tech and STEM, uh, we need dozens of programs like this of different flavours to test and experiment until the landscape's changed. But uh, returnships, I love it. Yeah, listen, um, I'll connect you with Ruth Harrison. So she's also known as Ruth Rocketwood Woman Harrison because she's actually got an nice. uh, uh, aerospace in degree. And, um, you know, the funny thing is she's, she's such a lovely woman. And she said, you know, when she finished with her um, degree, she didn't think she knew enough. So she didn't go into the industry immediately. And I got, that just made me laugh because she's clearly highly intelligent. And um, I don't know what universities are doing in terms of that to, to prepare women today to go listen you're not going to know everything don't worry about it you're going to land a job first thing is land a job get get yourself settled and then learn what you need to know because it's impossible to know everything you need to know absolutely like we need to give ruth a copy of uh, my book as soon as possible so let's 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 work that out definitely uh, she's... and she's got young children so i think she'd appreciate it i'll just connect you by email anyway because oh. she's looking she's looking for companies all across australia so i keep on nudging her in directions of companies that i think people should be doing things and um yeah i think it's just brilliant nikki this is supposed to be a podcast no it's not supposed to be an introduction <laughs> meeting between you and me helping each other out like, listen we can do what we like it's my fun. <laughs> It's I my podcast. Often... <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Mick, let me explain something to you. When people come and look at my robots and clearly they blue, I go, that's a she. I don't know, but that's a she. So <laughs> the color makes no difference to me. She, those are all female robots that you're looking at. I can see the people looking at me a little bit strange. I go, Listen, it's my company. I can call them what I like. So <laughs> oh, I love it. That's no, so, well, very, 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 very good, truthful conversation on all fronts, hopefully to the listeners who will ping us afterwards and contact yeah, listen, add, they add me on LinkedIn. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna contact you. So climate technology is such an interesting topic. Tell me what, what are you doing in the space and what, what excites you? Well, it, I've got this, this uh, mixture of excitement and fear because uh, absolutely we have um, we have basically s s expensed the natural environment 
to fund our growth over the last 50, 60 years, um, and probably more like 100, but really aggressive in the last 20 years. And it's felt free, um, but it's kind of like we've been putting on this free credit card and all of a sudden we go to the mailbox and we get this this bill that says, hey, um, it's going to be too hot in a lot of the world and it's going to be flooded and the sea level is going to rise out. There's definitely a bit of anxiety that goes no matter what, uh, if you spend any time reading in this space. But um, that that's luckily matched by my, my optimism and belief um, of the hundreds of small groups of people who are committed to to solving some of these big problems. And uh, I don't pretend Australia is going to against, uh, solve the whole world's problems, but absolutely we we want, we should want to, and we have an opportunity to, to solve a whole bunch of them and participate in that. Um, so, and, and the problems are everywhere. Like the, it's, it's a lot like the internet, like the, you know, I remember back in 1998 doing a talk to a local chamber of commerce saying this internet's going to change everything. And, these old businessmen laughing at me, and um, but absolutely the the climate action and, and the new technologies to to, to uh, are going to change little bits of everything. Um, you how you how you operate your lights, your fridge, your cars, your clothes, plastics, um, and I'm really aggressive into this space. Like I don't I do takeaway coffees, and I uh, and you know these these are tiny little things, but I think they they all do add up. Um, but on the on the technology side. We do have to solve whole new industries, like how uh, my brother's working on uh, microgrid optimization. Like, how do you how do you deal with a grid where instead of just sending it out to to houses, they've got wind farms and hydro and solar panels, and that the grid is actually alive and energy is moving about the most efficiently in a in a small environment, let alone a big environment. You know, that's village energy doing that. Um, and then there's there's Lily from One Small Step, which is an application which just helps you understand your life and your day-to-day life and how that how what your carbon life is like. Um, and that's 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 amazing. Um, and then there's companies like Cecil Earth, which are helping uh, pro- project developers and, pro- and um, property developers manage the carbon. Like, who would have thought that you actually as a, as a farmer or someone building out a big regional complex has to think about their um, carbon and we should have, right? So uh, I see just amazing uh, technology everywhere in Australia and and what, what I'm really trying to help them do is to uh, get the things they need to give them a shot because it's all hard and they're all smarter than me. But I, if I can help them get an international customer, then that could open up doors to helping them be um, solve more problems globally. Listen, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I um, I think the green and the ice, ice there, there's a fracture going through our red that's, that's it's I don't know how many miles long that you can see there's a clear fracture of the ice now splitting off there. Um, our Amazon rainforest is just being absolutely mutilated. And um, I think under COVID, the, you know, like when COVID was happening, I think people took their eye off that as well. So that was just absolutely, de- and it continues to be decimated. And I think um, I read some stat like um, 20 years ago, or maybe 30 years ago, the proportion of the Amazon rainforest was this, and now it's flipped around and you can just see it shrinking. And I think as humans, we completely, we on all our land, if we think that what we do to our environment isn't going to affect us. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it's hard. And I recognize that I'm, uh, again, very, very privileged in that I can choose to have solar panels and I can choose to you know, not have takeaway coffee cups and 
Uh, all the little choices and the renewable energy and all the things I could do are very lucky to be able to do. But if we, if it's if it's only down to people who really care and it's only down to people who are very um, fortunate like myself to be able to make those choices, then the the costs will be borne by everybody. And yeah. Um, and I, I think there's, there's an uh, onus, uh, I feel an onus to try to have this biggest impact as possible. Um, but it's, it's hard because it's not, there's no, uh, there's no one thing that's going to happen, which is absolutely and utterly only happened because of climate change. Um, you know, waters, waters go up and down every day with tides. So, okay, water's going up, there's been ice ages, there's bushfires, um, it's, it's hot, it's cold. Um, the, the way I found a really good uh, way to communicate it was people were like, well, why are we worried about the world going up one and a half degrees when um, t- today it was 15 degrees Celsius and tomorrow it's say 18, like it's, it's, it changes more than that each day. Um, and, and a good analogy is a fever. Um, your body has a really base rate of 36 degrees Celsius. And if it, if it goes up even just one and a half degrees, you're sick. Like that's, yeah. At your body's average, sure, you'll go for a jog and you might get hotter, but actually if your body's average is, is too hot, then then that's sick. And I think the other thing we underestimate is how how beautifully integrated the whole world is as an ecology and as an ecosystem. And to think that, um, you know, bees being extinct won't really matter. Yeah, m- maybe, but if a lot of bees are, then it will matter. And if the water heats up, then we'll have less fish. And then if we'd have less fish, we have less rate. Like, it, it it could it could go bad quickly and um and and I, I think it's 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 is going to change that's unfortunate but and and I think we will we will fix it because I've seen uh, I see a lot of the world trying to solve these problems um, and most of the world will never have to make a decision on it they'll just they want to get a car electric car because it's a cool car and they'll price will be built in if I'm buying a plastic bottle it costs an extra forty cents because they're paying I had to pay for a plastic bottle and. Um, so, well, I don't want to do that anymore, so I'll, I'll recycle it or I'll re- reuse it. But, um, um, yeah, equal, equal optimism and, 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 well, more optimism than fear, but um, a healthy amount. Man, listen, I love your optimism because I'm listening to the electric cars and I watched the skit on ABC about Australia's view on electric cars and I went, oh my goodness, like I cannot believe it. This is our government um, and their mindset about it, but we won't touch on that topic now. No, let's <laughs> not get be, political. No, we're going to be positive about this. You know, Mick, I think the, the big thing is if you if you can view your life as that I'm my brother's keeper and, you know, what you do to yourself, you, you're doing to someone else and what they're doing they're doing to you so if we have the mindset of actually nothing you do is that small everything you do is actually got a huge um it can have a huge flow on effect so you know you're not getting um a, a coffee cup from you know you're not using disposable coffee cups you've got your coffee cup that you use actually if you take into i don't know how much coffee you drink but on average have two or three cups a day that makes a difference and if everyone is doing that um certainly um there will be a flow on effect so um yeah I, I i do think don't under it's like that little mosquito in the room never underestimate how one little mosquito can irritate the bejeebas out of you well as somebody who's had malaria twice which is there's not much must be many in australia that's had malaria twice no um i know that a single a single mosquito can uh, can cause problems so um <laughs> I look, I think that's totally right. And I think it's partly an awareness thing. And, and there, are, there are, again, hundreds and hundreds of small groups of people solving these problems. But um, 
there's seven billion people in the world. You every if you multiply your actions by that, um, you know they they really build up. And there's the other one that I works well with my kids is, um, are you going to throw that away? Oh, wh where is away? <laughs> away yeah. from you? Okay, yeah. but it's it's still somewhere, right? It's still on the planet. Like it's um, so there. So yeah, look, I think that we again similar thing to the the gender balance. I think we're going in the right direction, but we need still uh, a lot more work. And we have, it's going to take a lot longer to get it done. Yeah. Listen, that, that gets me on, I've gone on a minimalist theme. So that goes onto a whole new podcast of, you know, how many, how many outfits do you actually need? And how many, how many sets of everything do you need in your house and the energy that you expend looking after your, your earthly possessions, but um, we'll, we'll cap it there. Any closing thoughts that you would like to leave our audience with today? Yes, well, I mean, I hope the person we give the book to is someone who's either you know, has either got uh, daughters they want to inspire or boys they want to teach. Because I agree that I think teaching boys respect for relationships, I think, is a, is something really, really important. Uh, I, and I hope there, if there are other initiatives, I'm really my, again, my book is only one part of what I'd like to do. Very happy to 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 now that we can sort of jump on planes a little bit, to come and uh, come and travel around Australia and tell this story. Um, and again, on the climate tech side, again, don't, please don't, as exactly as you said, do not underestimate your individual impact. Uh, you are everyone. It doesn't matter how many people follow you on Instagram, you are an influencer, whether it's just your family unit or your close unit of friends. And and I think, I know we didn't want to go political, but that's what's going to drive it, right? That's that's what's going to drive change is when, they, when, when, the, when the politicians realise. And the same thing with, with companies, they, they're going to, when a company loses you as a customer, that's the most powerful thing you can do. And when when someone thinks that they're not going to get you a vote unless they really care about electric vehicles, then I, I think that's that's when they're really going to care about it. So um, please be aware and use your full your full power to maximum effect. Yes, I think that's a wonderful message to leave. Um, make, um, I'm hoping you're going to send me all the um, links to the things that you've mentioned in the talk. I'll certainly put your, um, where they can access all the interviews with the fabulous ladies that you've spoken to so far. Um, okay, have I put your email address in as well? Yeah, absolutely. No problems. All right. Okay. Mick, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute delight meeting you. And we, we share Alan Jones, the good one, as he mentions himself <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> it's a, really, a, a great mutual friend between us. I'll definitely tell him to listen to this episode as we've thrown his name around start, middle and end. So <laughs> Fantastic. He'll, he'll be happy with the plug. He's, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, he will. A good guy. Well deserves it. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, we appreciate thanks. it. I've had, a, go well. I've had good fun. You too. Okay, Mick, go well. Thank you. Cheers. Mm -hmm.